Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This Origins chapter is sponsored by Bleacher Report. In 2007, Bleacher Report figured out a better way to cover sports. They realized fans wanted to do more than just watch a game. They wanted to know more about what players are really like. Bleacher Report brings the content to your feed that you want to see as it's happening. From the only NFL show that advocates for players to what NBA super teams might look like in 20 years if the trend isn't broken. At Bleacher Report, fans can talk, trash talk, celebrate, and engage with what matters to them most in sports. You want to see what players do on the plane to and from games? Bleacher Report's got you. You want to see players putting in the work at the gym? Bleacher Report's got you. And you know Bleacher Report's got you if you want to see the best, most exciting highlights, even when Canadian rappers sit courtside. It's a new era in sports content, and Bleacher Report is leading the way. I really think that that tornado in Tuscaloosa kind of changed his perspective a little bit. I saw a change in him from that point on. I'll never forget that meeting either. He called everybody in. We had a long snapper who was seriously injured, and we wanted to make sure every player was accounted for. This was 2011. He called us in and, and sat us down, and he said, I want you guys to forget about football. I want you to take a few days. I want you to go get in the community, serve other people, because some things in life are bigger than football, right? Which sounds obvious, but for Nick Saban to say that, that's a big deal. In 2008, Georgia announced they'd be wearing black uniforms in their game against Alabama, encouraging fans to wear black as well, all in an effort to intimidate and black out Bama. Cochran had this to say about that. They're wearing black because they're going to their own motherfucking funeral. The Tide won 41 to 30. A little birdie told me that when Kirby Smart went over to Georgia, he wanted to drag you along with him. (laughs) And I'm just wondering if, A, if you were at all tempted, and B, if you had gone to Georgia, how much of it travels with you and how much of it is a function of the Sabin-Cochran cocktail? Oh, wow. Um, Sorry, so what's the question? (laughs) You just got me thinking all over the map right there, baby. (laughs) A, were you tempted? I would say sure, yeah. So then I guess Sabin did a little process on you to keep you, right? A hundred percent, no doubt, no doubt. And you didn't even see it coming. We always go through something for a reason. Whatever I've gone through in my past, I can always bring it up to a player and say, this is who I am, this is what I'm about. And when I had something like this happen to me, this is where I screwed up, this is where I did it right, and this is where I would recommend you do when you're making this decision or whether you are dealing with something. I mean, look, John Lennon and Paul McCartney would have been talented if they had been in a separate group. So if you had gone over with Kirby, you would have done a great job. I'm trying to understand, though, how much of the Nick Saban, Scott Cochran nexus creates an X factor that is totally different than if you had just been doing it in a different place. I mean, I would love to say that 
it doesn't matter where I would go, I would win. But <laughs> I think we know that Coach Saban is the man, and I think the X factor is him. And I can look in the mirror happily and say that anybody could have the job I have, and he'd still have the same success. You know, it's amazing to me how we're all imperfect, but yet we judge other people to a very high level of perfection. But at the same time, most of us, somewhere along the way, made some kind of error, mistake, where that wasn't really who we were, but it was a mistake that we made that could have had great consequences. And I think players need to know cause and effect of their choices and decisions. When I or we decide that a player can't be on our team, can't be on scholarship, that's really a kind of a a life sentence in a way. Because the one opportunity that a player may have to graduate is through athletics, to develop the personal characteristics to be successful through the program, through the personal development programs that we have, through the academic support that he'll get to help him succeed academically. So we make a much more productive person in our society if we keep him in the program and they can respond to do things the right way. And as long as they're not affecting other people in the organization in a negative way, I think in most cases you try to give a person the help they need to maybe succeed. But they have to take ownership for it. They have to understand accountability of what they have to do to be a part of the organization. And they have to understand they have to be in partnership with everybody in the organization who's trying to help them. And then they got to realize the consequences of their actions for themselves individually, as well as how it impacts the team. You've done that on a coaching level too, with Lane or other people too, not just players. And hopefully those things have worked out for those folks. And it was a benefit to us because we got a better version of them. And hopefully that helps them in their future. Lane, you had made a couple surprise moves in your career, and some of them might be controversial or whatever, but it turns out that Saban didn't care about any of that when he hired you. And in fact, they said that uh, there were people in the SEC who they weren't thrilled about you arriving back in the conference, but that Saban brushed them aside. Was that your perception? Obviously, we're very grateful for him giving us the opportunity to come there. A number of people saying, oh, don't bring him back to the SEC or don't hire him. And so why that was going on, I was glad it was going on. If you know Coach Saban and you know his personality, when that was happening, I said, well, I'm getting the job. If people are telling him not to do it, he's going to do it. And did he ever, and maybe in one of his tense moments with you, kind of hold that up to you and throw you know, a little guilt shit your way in terms of like, I went to bat for you and you got to be more loyal or listen to me more or whatever he was saying at the time? Uh, I'll just say it was brought up. I won't say in what context, but it was brought up a few times, yes. I was reminded of it, I guess I'll say. So you don't have to be Jewish to throw some guilt around, huh? (laughs) I was reminded of it. (laughs) Former Alabama All-American Barrett Jones. Coach David has been good now for like almost two decades he's been doing this. And why is that, right? Football in that time has changed so much. And you look at it, he's never afraid to adapt. He's always asking, what's next? What's the next thing I can do to be great, right? Look at an example, Lane Kiffin, right? He goes out and hires Lane Kiffin to run a spread offense at the University of Alabama. I mean, that's, that's unheard of. Now it seems like it makes sense because it worked out pretty well. But at the time, people, I mean, even the people close to him were saying, Nick, what are you doing? Like, this is not 
This is not the kind of offense we run. You know, this guy's a little crazy. What are we doing? And he goes out and just basically totally changes Alabama offense, right? I mean, most coaches don't do that kind of stuff. Former Yankee manager Joe Girardi. I think sometimes, you know, he's viewed as a tough individual. He's got a huge heart. He believes in helping people. And to me, that's why we've been put on this earth, is to help others. And he helps people revitalize their careers, gives them second chances, third chances. I mean, he expects perfection. That's who he is. He expects people to do their job. But he gives people a platform to get back to where they want to get back. I think about Elaine Kiffin and Kirby Smart, who went to Georgia. He gives them a platform to grow, and he's not intimidated by that. He wants to help others succeed. And obviously, I think he probably saw that somewhere. Maybe he saw that in his dad growing up, that his dad wanted to always give back and help others succeed. And I think he's got a huge heart and a huge love for the game and really wants people to be successful. The guy never is afraid to change. And I think that takes a certain amount of humility, right? A humility to say, even though I'm at the top of my game right now, even though I'm the greatest coach, maybe in the history of football, definitely right now in football, I'm still going to look and find out what's next, you know? And I think that, like, there's such a culture of stubbornness in football, right? Football coaches are stubborn. Have you ever met them? They're stubborn. They don't want to change. They don't want to adapt. They don't want anyone to tell them a new way to do it. But yet, Coach Saban, even at the top of his game, is constantly searching for what's next. He's searching for the next thing, the way he can get a little bit better, the way he can you know, disguise a blitz a little differently. He's always bringing people in, always hungry for new knowledge, right? Even as recently as the fact that he changed quarterbacks at halftime. Now, I know everyone says that was an obvious decision. That's not an obvious decision. This guy's led you to two national championship games, and you're going to change quarterbacks at halftime? He's never afraid to adapt, right? Another example, uh, I want to say the 2009 defense compared to the 2015 defense there's an average difference on the front seven of 30 pounds, right? I mean, he, he looked around and he says, I got to go out and I got to start recruiting a different kind of athlete, a type of athlete who can rush the passer because now I'm facing all these, you know, spread offenses. There are no fullbacks anymore. I got to change. I mean, that's a, a pretty amazing quality to have for a guy who is as elite as he has is what he does. Do you think of uh, Coach Saban as a disciplinarian? I don't. I don't think of him as a disciplinarian. You know, I've always said Coach Saban is really, really easy to get along with. He sets very clear expectations. And that's not just for the players. He sets a clear expectation for every single person in the building, including himself. Everyone in the building knows their exact job title. They know exactly what they're supposed to do. They know exactly what expected of them. You know, they know exactly the standards of the organization. They know exactly where they're supposed to be. There's no guesswork, right? And so, you know, I think he's incredibly easy to get along with. You know, the guys who obviously have trouble with him are the guys who don't want to do that. And so, you know, I guess he's a disciplinarian from the standpoint of he likes discipline. You know, he's certainly not a, a player's coach, I guess, and from that terminology. But, you know, I didn't really want a player's coach. That wasn't what appealed to me. You know, people always today ask me, they say, you know, are you and Coach Saban close, right? I say, well, I think we're close. I mean, Coach Saban's never going to be the guy who's going to, you know, text you and say, you know, hey, uh, what are you watching on TV? You know, that's that's not his personality, right? I mean, he's a, a super focused, driven guy, uh, but absolutely he's close to his players. When you go up there, he sits time and, and talks to you. And, you know, I think when you say disciplinarian, sometimes that has a negative connotation that he doesn't really love his guys. When, it, In fact, I really feel like he loves and cares for his players. You see a difference between discipline and punishment, correct? Oh, no doubt. I mean, discipline is not punishment. 
discipline is basically knowing what you're supposed to do, when you're supposed to do it, the way it's supposed to get done, do the right thing the right way, the right time, all the time. I mean, there's all kinds of definitions. What I just used uh, is my sort of definition of self-discipline. You know, here's something I know I'm supposed to do that I really don't want to do. Can you make yourself do it? Here's something I know I'm not supposed to do, but I want to do it. Can you keep yourself from it? Well, we make those decisions when the alarm clock goes off in the morning. I got 8 o'clock class. It's raining outside. It's cold. I don't feel like getting up. I know I have a quiz at 8 o'clock. I'm supposed to go to class. You going or not? A hundred times a day. So there's a lot of different ways. But to me, a lot of people think discipline is punishment. But, you know, punishment to me does not have any value, any currency at all, unless it changes someone's behavior. And I think to change someone's behavior, whatever it is that you take away from them, to use your term, punish them with, has got to be something significant to them so that it does change their behavior. Simple example, player really wants to play. He's supposed to go to class. Player doesn't go to class. You say, unless you go to class, you're not playing. So he wants to play, so you don't allow him to play. So you get the behavior that you want in terms of class, which is the most important thing as a guy graduates and develops a career off the field. So is that discipline? I don't think so. It's taking something away that's significant to someone. I mean, my daughter's on Facebook all the time. When she was at home, if you took her computer away, you could get things done. Room got cleaned up. You know, dishes got washed. Car got washed. Because that was what was significant to her. So it's different for different people. But I do think that's really the only value that there is in punishment to me is if it really changes somebody's behavior. Here's Nick Saban's wife, Terry. I feel like I have a role as Nick's wife and being some part of this program. And it's a full-time job. Between that and our foundation, that's all I do. Did you ever see Terry, his wife, be involved in a significant way in your, any of your dealings? And what do you think she brings to the table? Well, I, I think she's tremendous. And she is around all the time, which is great. On every road trip, always there and supportive. And you could have the worst game ever. And she would tell you, oh, sweetie, did so great today. And things like that. I mean, she is, she's like everyone's mom on the team. She really is that person that's associated with the program that's the biggest, most positive cheerleader that she can possibly be. And regardless of how things went on the field, she's going to be supportive of the performance and the effort that you put forth. And I, I think that that's something that I appreciated. And I know that Coach Saban, he runs the show when it comes to the football program, but it is remarkable to watch their relationship and just how much he appreciates her point of view and just how much he continually always has her around and and make sure that she's a focal point of the program because she should be and she needs to be and especially when it comes to his Knicks Kids Foundation all the things that she does for that how involved she is in the community she's everywhere and I think done so many remarkable things for Tuscaloosa that go a little unnoticed but for those that are really associated with the program for, and for Coach Saban, I think he's definitely appreciative of the influence that she's had. And, and for me as a former player, I'm, I'm grateful that she was around as often as she was and continues to be as supportive as she is.
Bennett Spector is another Bleacher Report veteran, whom CEO David Finocchio regards as, quote, the closest thing to being the voice of Bleacher Report, end quote. I was working at a surfing magazine, and I was really just kind of looking to be a sports writer. I was living with my parents at the time, so really anything in this that was full-time was piquing my interest, but I've always been obsessed with sports, so I didn't know too much about the company, to be honest, because there wasn't much to know at the time. I was tasked with starting our newsletter program. What we learned was that there were hundreds and ultimately thousands of these smaller groups of people that were very passionate about these subsets. So whether you were sending a newsletter to a Michigan State or an Alabama football, that was very different than sending an overarching newsletter to all college football fans. Every single day, we would look at how can we beat our engagement rate from the day before. So if we would get you know, a 35% open rate one day, the next day we were trying to see if we could get 36 or 37. And it was kind of this competition with the numbers of how could we always beat that score from the day before. True story. When I first tried One Blade Razor, I gave up after 45 seconds. But the packaging was so cool. So that Saturday morning, I tried it again. This time, I actually read the instructions and decided to be, God forbid, a tad patient. The One Blade experience turned out to be time well spent. The design is awesome. They spent over a million bucks and had over a thousand prototypes to build the world's best razor. One Blade didn't set out to create a good razor or even a great razor. Their goal was to create the perfect tool to deliver the perfect shave. And after using it, there's no doubt that they succeeded. Because the one thing that One Blade teaches you is it's not just about the razor, it's about the total shaving experience. This situation is simple. You get a barbershop shave at home. My face has never felt better. And by the way, you get a lifetime guarantee with this thing. And if you don't like it, there's a no-hassle, 60-day trial, no harm, no foul. But I doubt you'll want to let go of it. It's just that good. If you are ready to elevate your shaving experience, try One Blade today. Listeners should go to onebladeshave.com and enter the discount code ARIGINS15 at checkout for 15% off their entire purchase. That's onebladeshave.com and enter the discount code ARIGINS15 at checkout for 15% off your entire purchase. One Blade. Come for the shave, stay for the deep breath. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I mean, you've been USC and Oakland Raiders and Tennessee. And what kind of outlier is the Alabama Crimson Tide football program? I mean, it's a perfect combination. If just the process worked and it wasn't about Nick Saban doing it, then every coach that left would have done great. And obviously some have struggled trying to do the same thing. Once again, Lane Kiffin. It's a combination of Nick Saban, number one, but number two, Alabama, one of the top five jobs in America, and the ability to have a tradition in history prior to the coach getting there of being a place that could recruit at an extremely high level. And that's where you have the perfect combination of a top five program with the best coach in college football. Combine the two and you get what you got. 
Years ago, I was uh, lucky enough to spend a week with Al Davis during minicamp, and it was mind-blowing for me on so many different levels. I know you knew him. He's somebody who takes up a lot of oxygen in terms of uh, football operations. Is Nick Saban on that kind of level in terms of, do you see similarities between the two of them at all? Yeah, um, surprisingly, I don't get that question very much over the years. There is a ton of similarities between the two. They run their programs extremely similar and probably even more similar than I know because I got Mr. Davis late, you know, where he wasn't as healthy as years before where he was more hands-on. So I would bet you if someone had worked with them both, Coach Saban now and, and Mr. Davis 15, 20 years ago when he was that age, I bet you they'd say they're, they're almost exactly the same. How they run the program, what their leadership philosophies are, and, and how they see things. They are going to run everything. These are dictatorships, not democracies, correct? I, you said it. I didn't. <laughs> the secret to Alabama winning is hard work. When you go to that place, you better be so ready to work harder than you ever thought was possible. I mean, most teams have three practices a week, okay, three real practices a week, and maybe one, possibly early in the season, two of those are in pads, right? And the other one's probably in shirts. At Alabama, you practice in shoulder pads four days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And every single one of those days, except for Monday, three of those days, you have good on good. For example, ones on ones, right, which is extremely rare to have that much number ones on number ones experience, right? Most teams maybe do that one, possibly two days a week. Alabama does it three days a week where they have their best guys going against each other in, in basically full speed drills. And so that's you know kind of the reason that, that you win, but you absolutely, you learn to work hard. Here's ESPN's Tom Rinaldi. For someone who's had the success that he's had in college, it obviously begs the question of why he wasn't more successful in the NFL. There's two things. One is I do think that Nick views himself very, very much as a teacher. And I don't know if at that stage where a lot of those players are, that they're necessarily interested in being taught. That's one possibility, which is broad. But the specific reason perhaps why it didn't work was after his first season, he very much wanted Drew Brees. And Brees was coming off shoulder surgery. Nick was friends with Dr. Andrews, probably the the most vaunted orthopedist in the country, and Andrews did clear him and said, I think he's sound. They came to an impasse, and the team would not clear him because they didn't believe they could get the contract insured. Last time I checked, Jim, Drew Brees has been pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, he somehow survived. For a pretty long time. He's been pretty good. And all the different speculation that we could talk about, perhaps all of that is completely out the window if that contract gets cleared and indemnified. We'll never know. I once heard you say, don't waste failure. And I thought it was very provocative. Well, I I think that we've been talking about having success. So now we had failure. Success sometimes makes people complacent. Failure makes people's antenna go up because now they want to improve. They're more apt to change. So when I say don't waste a failure, I'm not talking about don't be frustrated by it. Let's get past the emotional difficulties of not having success, which we all worked hard to have. 
but let's actually be technical about what is it that we have to do to improve the things that created the failure. So you can get frustrated when you fail, learn nothing, or you can technically analyze and show people and teach people the reason that we failed. And I want our players and our team and the people in our organization always to think it was about what we did, not about what somebody else did, because those are the things that we can control. So we're constantly trying to show them these are the things that we did well. Here are the things that we did poorly that we need to correct, we need to fix, we need to improve. Some of those things could be individual people taking ownership, accountability individually to do something better, or it could be something that is a team function or a unit function that needs to improve. So, And to show people what these things are and for them to see clearly that if we'd have done this, this, and this, we would have had success, to me is very, very important when you have failure because now you don't lose confidence, you gain confidence. One thing that was cool about the way he ran the team is he had a player panel, right? So he had a leader from each position group who he would meet with once a week. You know, it was probably nine or ten guys uh, in a room with him, and we would actually get to help determine discipline for the team. The level of organization is incredible. So, like, there's literally people, their only job was they were supposed to go around and check to make sure people were in class. And if you weren't in class, you got a point. And if you got a certain amount of points... There was punishment. And so part of our job was if there were guys not going to class, there were guys not doing what they should do, study hall hours, they were failing, whatever it was, we would help determine their punishment. You know, obviously Coach Saban would sit down on these meetings, and so he'd make sure we had kind of had the right idea and we're going down the right track, and he'd weigh in. But he would truly listen to kind of what we had to say. And so I can remember several instances he invited disagreement. You know, if you disagreed, he wanted you to speak up. Now, at least that's what he said. But I, I took him literally. So a few times... You know, I very respectfully would disagree with him. And sometimes, you know, he'd get after me a little bit. He he was not afraid to mix it up and, and get after you. So, absolutely, he used to chew me out on a regular basis, but I loved it. I mean, we're both competitive type guys, and, you know, if we ever disagree. But that's, again, that's part of the reason why the team took ownership, right? Because he kind of gave us that leadership duty and made us take ownership of the program and feel like we were really part of the decisions being made around then the organization. It really gave us a feeling of empowerment, like this is our team, right? This is our team. We're here. We can make decisions. Uh, we can kind of uh, help him decide, you know, what the punishment is for players. Still, it's important just that he was always taking kind of the player's pulse and the player's temperature for kind of what they wanted to do. Once again, Greg McElroy. I can remember vividly, Jim. It was my junior year, and we had just played Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech at the time, it was my first start. It was our first game of the 2009 season. And the first half was ugly, and we kind of won and pulled away late in the fourth quarter. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, this is tough. You know, college football is a lot harder than I was anticipating it was going to be. And the following week, all we did was talk about, hey, these are the mistakes we made in the Virginia Tech game. Let's get these things ironed out. We have FIU, Florida International, coming to town this upcoming week, and we need to have these things ironed out. So I can remember approaching practice on edge the whole week, a nervous wreck, like, man, we better get these issues rectified or we're going to lose this week. We're like a five-touchdown favorite. You know, I mean, I remember there being the amount of doubt that you'd have going into a game if you didn't prepare and if you didn't do enough to prepare and you didn't respect your opponent. 
I think that he has done a great job of making sure that that was a point of emphasis throughout our careers, and I definitely still use it today. I mean, I try to, every day I try to be better than the last day, and it's something that I don't even think about anymore because it was so ingrained in me in such an impressionable age period of my life. What do you think you're like to work for? Have you ever thought about what it would be like to work for yourself? No, I really haven't. But since I try to do the very things that I talk about and guard against not doing those things, in other words, I'm going to make sure that I do as much or more in recruiting. I'm going to do as much or more in preparing for the season. I'm going to do as much or more teaching and developing players so that they can play at a higher level next year. Because I certainly, as a leader of the organization, don't want anybody to think that I used to come to work every day at 7.15, and now all of a sudden I come at 8.15. So therefore, everybody else in the organization come in an hour later too. It's just the opposite you know, for me in terms of making sure that from a leadership standpoint, I'm being somebody that everybody can emulate by setting a good example. So therefore, if I'm doing these things, why would it be any different if I were working for me because I'm really working for me now? Once again, Joe Girardi. For you as a coach, is it important for you to feel like you're liked by the players? Do you want to be liked? Do you want to be feared? Do you want to be admired? What is the psychodynamics? You want to be trusted. You want the players to trust you that you want what's best for them. Because you're going to have to make decisions at times that players aren't going to like. But if they trust you and they know that you want what is best for them, I think it goes over a lot better. Because sometimes players' love for a coach can be conditional. Is he playing me? Now he's not playing me. I don't, I don't like this. Trust. And to me, that was the most important, that I was always trying to help a player get better, that he trusted in that, that I cared about him as a person more than as a player, that he trusted in that, and that I always had his back. But I think he has a great pulse of what his teams need and understands it because he's so involved. And obviously he's very good at reading people, the perception of what his team needs at that time. I think he's a master communicator. I think he's a master motivator. And I think that's why he's able to get the most out of his teams. When he was working for Saban as offensive coordinator, Kiffin reportedly said into the headset during a game, dumb players make dumb plays. To which Saban responded, no, dumb coordinators called dumb plays. Other Alabama coaches heard the exchange. Later, Saban wouldn't confirm what he said, but did offer this about the conversation. There were no arguments. Those were called ass chewings. Sometimes Saban seemed to be pretty tough on you, even in games and in the middle, in front of a big crowd. But people talked about the fact that you had kind of maybe developed this shell in exchange for being that close to his coaching prowess, and you were going to then be able to take it with you when you left. Do you think there's some validity to that? Yeah, I think that's very fair. When you're in something, you look at it much different later on years down the road than when you're in it. And so as difficult maybe as those things were at the time that you're referring to, you know, you look at it later as, okay, it made you better, made you stronger, even though you didn't think that at the time, you know? And so it's kind of like parenting a little bit. Sometimes your parents do some things that when you're in it, you don't understand why they don't make sense to you. You say, I would never do that as a parent. And then years later you get out of it and you say, okay, maybe I do understand why that happened. 
you know, why they did that. So I think as you continue to get further away from it, you have a different perspective than when you're in it. You know, there were some difficult things that were unusual to me. And I don't think that Coach Saban would disagree with that. You know, a place like Alabama, especially Alabama, you're hired for one reason, to help win games, period, and produce your side of the ball or your position, whatever you coach. And so we were together for three years and won three SEC championships, which is hard to do. And when we got there, we'd been on a two-game losing streak. When we left, the two of us together had won 26 in a row. And on offense, we had three SEC Offensive Players of the Year every single year. Mari Cooper, Derrick Henry, and then Jalen Hurts, the first true freshman to win it since 1981, and Herschel Walker. So from that perspective, I think the Alabama people, the people that hired us, the fans, if you would have told them that at the beginning of the three years, they would have said, where do we sign up? So I look at it as, you know, if you graded a three-year span of how things went as far as production is at A+. And that's credit to him because this was his plan to change the offense and his plan to hire us. So you're glad you did it? Definitely. There's not a day that I regret that. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash Arjuns. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never have to miss a great match. With results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. And right now, Origins listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Origins. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash O-R-I-G-I-N-S. ZipRecruiter.com slash Origins. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I think there's a misnomer out there that Nick Saban is miserable. Right, people look at his life. You know, they they see him grinding on the sidelines, always looking frustrated or focused or however you want to say it. And they think, man, that guy is not happy. I think Nick Saban loves the grind more than anyone I've ever been around. The guy loves the grind. He absolutely loves it. The time where he's skipping around is every single day at practice. I've never seen anyone who loves practice this much. This guy loves practicing. He loves teaching. He loves coaching. He absolutely loves what he does. So I absolutely think he loves it. I don't think he's miserable. You know, I will say this. I do think in the probably the past five or six years, I think it started to hit him a little bit. You talk to those people close to him, it seems like he's being a little more reflective about his legacy. Like I think he's starting to think about those kind of things as far as, you know, what will people say about me when I'm done coaching and when I'm gone, right? I can see it just kind of the way he acts, the way he takes a little more time to kind of talk with his former players. It seems like it's hitting him a little bit that, you know, he wants to have a great legacy. Was there a part of you that left Tuscaloosa kind of envious? Yeah, it's a different world because obviously he's recruiting his players. He's bringing in the players that fits his mold and and what he wants. But I also am not envious of how many days a year he has to truly work because it never stops. I don't have to recruit in a sense. A, A major league manager, yes, you'll call a player if he's a free agent, but you're not trying to bring in 30 kids a year. I'm not envious of the workload that he has 
I am envious of some of the things that he has, and it was remarkable, the facilities that they had. I mean, if you're a, a great college football player, and I know there's other schools that have, you know, these type of facilities, but how can your eyes just not go like this when you walk in and say, wow. Barrett, what do you think ultimately the difference between being playing for Coach Saban is after your college career is done? I think Coach Saban gets a lot of credit, obviously, for how good of a football coach he is. I don't actually think he gets enough credit for the job he does of molding boys into men. I mean, I'll tell you, me, for example, I went there as a boy. I did. I mean, I was 18. I was out of high school. Uh, Maybe legally I was a man, but I wasn't responsible enough to raise a family or be a good employee. Or I didn't have those kind of traits. And Coach Saban, absolutely, he trains you how to be responsible, You know, how to be accountable for what you're doing what hard work actually looks like. I don't think he gets enough credit for the type of, of men he produces. You know, men who are, are better husbands and fathers and employees because of the time they spend in Alabama. Obviously, he's done a, a lot of great things through his charities. He's built a lot of houses for tornado victims. He has a great charity called Nick's Kids. I think he does a fantastic job with that stuff. In my mind, just knowing him, I think it's something he's starting to think about a little more. You can kind of just see it in the way he acts, that he's being... He's getting a little sentimental. He's getting a little more reflective because uh, I think it is important to him. He wants to be uh, remembered as a guy uh, who had an impact on a lot of people. And I'll just tell you, I mean, from in my life, he had a tremendous impact. And there's, I could find you a line a mile long of guys who love playing for him uh, who say, I'm a better man today because I played for Nick Saban. How have you upped your game for this 2018 season? You demanded of the players, tell me about what you've done to yourself or for yourself or for Coach Saban in terms of your own game. You know, during my vacation time, I try to go meet and speak with people about body parts, about the strength and conditioning side of this game, whether it be ankles, knees, shoulders. And this year I spent more time on that than the psychological side than I normally would. Normally it's going to be all psychological and I'd go try to see if coach will let me go see people or have them come see us. So for me, my first thing was to get some things looked at where I could do a better job in the weight room for them and in the conditioning. We had a player that had some issues and graduated and decided to leave. And it was a bad move for the young man. It was, it was not the best move for him. And it hurt us a little bit too. But it really was not a good move for him to do. And when that guy called and said, hey, can you call a team for me? Even though he got his degree from us, but he transferred. Can you help me get this interview? And Coach Saban did it. That is a tough pill to swallow to me for him to humble himself and say, you know, this kid still needs me even though he didn't listen to me. To me, that right there is a reason why you get up and go to work. It's because you're working for a man who who can forgive and forget and say, I still got your back because you chose to come here and you got your degree and you may have not finished it the way we wanted to and maybe we would have won that year. Who knows? But it wasn't about him it was about a 21 or 22 year old making a mistake and coach being able to say heck yeah I'll call for you
we're on the cusp of a new season. And I'm just wondering, I, I was with coach, you know, in Tuscaloosa several weeks ago, but is there a different coach in the off season? Does he allow himself to take a deep breath and put football aside at any point? Or is the same kind of intensity that we see during preseason and the season itself on display? I view it more as layers with Nick. I don't think he takes a face off or a uniform off and set it aside. I think that he rather layers who he is. It's like being a father. You never take that face off. You're in your heart. You are a father. No matter if you're, you know, jumping off the boathouse or playing golf with your friends, that's still who you are. And I think for Nick, that never goes away. He's a coach, which means he's a teacher, which means he's a leader which means he has a team and a staff depending on him. That never goes away. Rather, he does layer it, you know, with some fun times and some golfing and, you know, let his hair down and let his beard grow and spit tobacco off the boat and, you know, eat hot dogs and complain about my 28 family members being there. And (laughs) so it's more, I would call it more layering than taking off. He's always mindful of that. You guys won the national championship. So now you're getting on the field for preseason and it's not like you lost a close game in the final and the motivation is right there. How do you take something like this preseason and get ready for the new season coming off such success? You know, uh, the standard is always being raised and the challenge to me is No one's role will be the same. Not one person's role from last year will be the same. Something will change. You're going to have to step up. And so I think coach sets that standard. And I think it's the challenge of each and all of us as a coaching staff, but also for the players to try to meet and exceed that challenge. And what I tell the players all the time, because, you know, playing for coaches is tough, but it's really awesome and rewarding for these guys you know coaching for him is the same exact way because if your expectations of what you're trying to accomplish is higher than your bosses you normally don't run into a lot of confrontation you don't run into a lot of issues and so I try to tell the players like if you can write your goals and I show you what I think your goals should be if yours are already higher than mine what do I ever need to say to you besides motivate you. Are you guys going to win again this year? (laughs) Come on! Come on! You're trying to soften me up for that question? Come on! Hey, we're going to do everything we can, you know? Everything we can. Thomas Edison said, I failed my way to success. And while it's hard in 2018 to conflate failure and Nick Saban, it's worth remembering that Saban has suffered and that probably is the best word, through bad jobs and tormenting defeats, and that he too has learned just as much from failure as he has from victory. I even had the feeling while talking with him in his office that he remembers the losses more. In this chapter of Origins, we've traced the pedigree of Saban's amazing track record in an effort to see how he's preparing Alabama for the challenges ahead in the 2018 season. And one thing he won't be spending too much time doing is paying attention to his critics. 
between competitors, jealous of resentful actors on the college football stage, or perhaps bruised egos who are on the receiving end of Saban's almighty force, there's plenty to go around. But if you're out to beat him, don't throw any of that criticism in his face. You're not going to get an apology. You'll only further encourage him to beat you. Nick Saban has been restless for much of his career, but one gets the feeling his new contract, which calls for him to be at Alabama through 2025, may just hold up. He's got plenty of games ahead to win, but he's also in the legacy business now, and both Terry and Nick appear certain that there's no better place from which to process the future than from Alabama. For Origins, this is Jim Miller. This has been a Cadence 13 production. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.